Hi, this is Laura, and a big thank you to all of you podcast listeners who supported our Giving Tuesday drive. Every dollar you gave was doubled. We met our match. How great is that? And it's not too late. If you want to join those forward-thinking listeners who support this program and keep it ad-free, you can at lauraflanders.org forward slash donate. Give a little every month and we'll keep this programming coming free and forward thinking all year. We can't do it without you. We can do it with you. So thanks. And now on with this week's show. I'm Laura, and this is The Laura Flanders Show, a TV and radio program that shines a light on the solutions of tomorrow today. We report on the people and movements driving systemic change from the worlds of politics, arts, and entrepreneurship. Welcome. It's that time of year when we all need a little resilience. Elections, holidays, the change of the season. We need fortitude to get through it. And today's guest would say we need fierce love, too. Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis knows a thing or two about resilience. One year ago, almost to the day, her church burnt to the ground. A church that had already been through its own history of near-death experiences. Reverend Jackie Lewis is senior minister of Middle Collegiate Church in Manhattan's East Village. She's no stranger to this show, and in her latest book, Fierce Love, A Bold Path to Ferocious Courage and Rule-Breaking Kindness That Can Heal the World, Jackie weaves together autobiographical anecdotes with theological reflections and practical tools. Today we're going to explore the force, Reverend Jackie says, underlies and inspires that change-making, fierce love. Welcome back to the program, Jackie. It is always a pleasure to have you with me. And wow, congratulations on a book with a long title, a beautiful cover, and a lot to say. <laughs> that, that title is a mouthful. Really. <laughs> Happy holidays to you, Laura. Well, Thank you, you too. so much for having me here. It's not just me, right, that needs extra special fortitude and resilience in this season. Do we all go through it? Do you? Are you feeling it too? Absolutely, it does. And I think that's what's good about the holidays, the holy days. They mark these times for us. Joy times, uh, sorrow times. They, they remind us of people who should be at the table who are not. But there is a kind of ubiquitous call to just be nicer, to be kinder, <laughs> to love each other better, at least for a little while. My hope is that people will extend that all year long. Yeah, well, we're working on that. Um, one of the great things about the holidays, though, quick segue, is that they bring people together. And bringing people together Together is something that Middle Collegiate did in holiday seasons and all the weeks and Sundays in between. The church burnt down last year. As it turns out, that brought people together too. Can you talk about first the fire and then what followed? Yeah, it's been a wild year, Alora. As 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 I think about the year, I think, wow, oh my gosh. But I do I do feel like we survived. I mean, we're here, you know, we're here. But it was a six alarm fire on uh, Saturday morning, December five, uh, that just torched our building, leaving only the facade. Uh, there, just were standing a, a burnt memory a burnt skeleton, if you will, of what that church had been since 1892. Uh, immediately, our neighbors, our friends, I mean, from around the globe, yeah. car people carried the fire in the news in China, in Australia. And what we found 
Laura in the fire was how much people loved us. Kind notes. I remember about two weeks after the fire, I opened up my Facebook feed finally and read about 500 love notes from people all over the globe who were just, we love you. We're holding you. We think of you like the cathedral in Paris. You're, you're our hope and our dream and, and we're going to stay with you. And they stayed with us, Laura. Uh, people joined the church some 500 people joined the church since March of 2020 it, during COVID and during the fire uh, grieving time. And so I believe that what we have found is the theory of fierce love is actually practiced and real in communities and digital spaces. Poor people sent a dollar, folks sent lots of money, but mostly people loved us through this time, mm. their prayers and their commitment to us. The church was gone as a place, but outside it's people convened there in the street in the East Village of New York in the winter, December. Can you talk about what took place there? So we're standing outside, literally watching the, the building smolder. It took days for that fire to stop burning. And as we were watching, the women next door to us, the Women's Prison Association women, were, were being, um, you know, uh, evacuated from their building because of the smoke. And my friends, Claudia and Susan, and my friends, um, Katrina and Yusuf, saw that they could do nothing at middle, but that they could do something for those women. And they literally made carpools. <laughs> carpools to take the women shopping. And they did trip after trip and then took the women to their temporary location. Laura, that's fierce love. In the midst of that excruciating grief, my friends, Susan and Claudia, were the ones who called me that morning to say, oh my God, the church is on fire. To watch our people leap into action like that. And then another group of middle people came and kind of sat Shiva for the building. They set up across the street in front of our neighbor's a grocery store that loves on us and helps us do Thanksgiving stuff. And they set up hot chocolate and food and sandwiches and shift after shift of people from the church and the neighborhood, which claims us came ate, sang, lit candles. It's not theoretical. <laughs> that love outlasts fires. Yeah. It's truth that it, fierce love cannot be snuffed out by a flame. Yeah, and I had mentioned at the top that this wasn't the first time that Middle Collegiate had gone through a near-death experience, right? It has a long and pretty extraordinary history. Absolutely. I mean, the church... The church, uh, which dates to 1892, that building, but the collegiate church dates to 1628. So we got all, we got centuries of stuff, right? We have honestly being the Dutch reformed church that quote, bought Manhattan from, from the Lenape, lots of apologies and repairs needed around that. Some of our folks, some of our senior ministers owned black people. Our church was built with stolen labor, okay? And that's real. And I think the work we've done in these last few decades, um, since Gordon Drott, 18, 19, 1985 for sure, has been all about repairing that harm. Yeah. LGBTQ justice, opening the doors for all the people in the community dying with HIV AIDS and their families living. We, we fed them, we housed them, we gave grants to them, we, we loved on them. Uh, we became the multi-ethnic, multi-racial, anti-racist church in the country. People count on us for anti-racist trainings. 6,000 people or so we trained 
in the time of COVID yeah. in the digital space. So I'm claiming reparations and I'm saying also I'm reparations, right? This black <laughs> dreadlocked leader leading middle church is part of the way the collegiate church uh, offers repair in the world for p- things we participated in. Well, it's no coincidence that Fierce Love, your book came out this year and fires feature in the book too. So I don't want to spoil anything. People should go and check it out. But it did start, the book starts in a place that was very resonant for me. And I don't think I'm alone. It starts with one of the hardest things, self-love. Talk about that choice and why and why starting with self-love is so important in your view. This book had been cooking in me for years, and you know that because we know each other. Uh, just what what can we do about the hot mess, toxic politics, horrific banter in the public square, erosion of civil rights, erosion of the, the pandemic of killing Black people, right? Yeah. All of that, Laura, has been grieving me for years, and I, I preach that, I write that, I teach that, but I wanted to do something that would push even outside of the religious boundaries. Certainly, I'm a Christian pastor, but you know that I'm a universalist, and I wanted to put words in the world that could be consumed by, ingested by, transform the lives of anyone who would dare to pick up the book. And here's the deal, uh, Laura, all the world's major religions say something like, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, don't do something to someone you don't want done to you. Don't withhold from your neighbor that which they need. One tradition says, don't break anyone else's heart. Don't break anyone else's heart. So if that's true, and that's hanging out in the religious space, why, why, why are we so horrific to each other? Why are we so intent on wounding each other? I think it's because actually we don't love ourselves. That's my working hypothesis. So what? You don't love yourself? You don't give yourself care? You don't think you deserve love? You shame on yourself, should on yourself, self-loathing? I am convinced that our founding fathers left Great Britain, your people, sorry, buddy, came came over here (laughs) across the pond to make a safe place for themselves and brought with them their... Um, oppression at the hand of the of the higher classes, right? Their their imperialist oppression, and then they passed it on. They passed it on to the indigenous people. They passed it on to the black people. And I think our whole nation is built not only on stolen land by stolen bodies, but on a premise principles that look democratic but are actually steeped in self loathing. Oh, it's those British patriarchs again. I mean it. So sorry about that. It's not your fault, my love. It's not your (laughs) fault, right? But but if you build a culture in which only... in which black people are only three-fifths of a person. If you build a culture in which you think you have the right to, quote, discover land that already belongs to some other folks, you are clearly moving from a place where there's a hole in your soul where love should be. That's my theory. And and it's, it's grounded in my experience as a psychologist, as a pastor, as a counselor. And so I wanted to start there. We're not yeah. taught to love ourselves. But if we don't love ourselves, I think we're going to keep repeating these patterns of abuse and oppression toward toward everyone who's not us. 
This is the Laura Flanders Show. I'm Laura. My guest is author, activist, and public theologian, Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis of Middle Collegiate Church in New York. We're discussing her new book, Fierce Love, A Bold Path to Ferocious Courage and Rule-Breaking Kindness That Can Heal the World. It's just out from Penguin Random House. A fire a year ago burnt Jackie's church to the ground, but the story didn't end there, as you'll hear. You'll find more of my interviews with Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis in that church in our archives at lauraflanders.org. While you're there, you can sign up for our weekly newsletter to keep in touch with our live events like our recent Instagram Live with Jackie about the verdict in Kenosha. Next, how does white women predominantly backing a candidate like newly elected Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin and Trumpism in this country factor into Reverend Jackie's thinking about self-love and political change. Before we get to that, here's the Gil Kang remix of Bad Habit by Full Flavor, featuring Kelly Say from the Full Flavor refreshed compilation released on Dome Records. Is it that during this part of the conversation, I'm thinking about all those white women who voted for Trump? <laughs> you, because you should be, right? I mean, I, I think that's a really important observation. You know, think also, I mean, I'm, I'm a woman. Trump or Trumpism, let's be clear. Right. I'm right. looking at Virginia or New Jersey, you right. name it. It, it, it. It's as though, so I'm a woman, I'm a black woman, I'm a womanist. The womanist theologians kind of fight in the places where feminism didn't do didn't do black, didn't go far enough to do black women's rights mm-hmm. or Latin, Latinx women's rights. In a way, Laura, it, it, if you are in a culture like ours, the strong patriarch is almost archetypically attractive to us, right? In fact, I would argue that's the kind of God many of us have made up. And maybe that's why Trump gets to win, because there's a way in which we want a mean patriarch. We want a domineering patriarch. We want a violent patriarch because we've been taught that power lives in those places. And you and I know that's not power. That's um, not the kind of power anyway that will heal us. It is actually narcissism gone amok in my mind. And I think I, I feel sorry for the women who don't understand that there's a different kind of power that we can all have together. And we don't need to live into male, patriarchal, heteronormative, you know, homophobic, xenophobic worldviews in order to survive and thrive. So that's part of it, isn't it? The, the desire to perhaps associate ourselves with power and where we perceive power to be. But isn't there another part of it, too, that has to do with a disinclination to associate ourselves with any disparaged or less powerful class, like a gender class? Class. What you're calling on us to do then, I think, is not just love ourselves, but to love ourselves while acknowledging that we have our challenges as a class, that we are part of a disadvantaged class, a gender class in this instance, uh, and others too. Which, right, is a circular, is a circular, um, no, it is, it's a circular <laughs> 
conversation right. and we have to, you have to start somewhere. Right. So, so I start with love yourself, knowing that it's hard right. and all the way through this book, fierce love, I'm coming back to these practices, this idea of harvesting, ex- excavating, exegeting our stories for our superpowers, Laura, that actually might be our weaknesses. So well, that's we, why you say truth right? is the important thing. Truth is important. So because telling the truth about what actually did happen to you and to people like you in history, in your personal and, life, and that's part of that cycle. Stop worshiping Thomas Jefferson, my people, right? Stop. <laughs> let's stop idealizing the, the beginnings of this nation in which you women, you white women, you white women did not matter either. You didn't. Yeah, but we could own slaves and we could inherit slaves and we could retain slaves in a separation from our husbands. Even at a time we could do very little else in the early colonial period, in the period of slavery in this country, white women could do those things. We could own people. And I think none of that history has been fully absorbed, addressed, uh, confronted. And as white people, we barely, as white women, I don't think we're barely conscious of needing to consider that history and, and to heal it and to work with that legacy that is specifically ours, and which I think puts a very big crevasse and series of cracks in our relations with women of color, right? Laura, yeah. And honestly, what goes along with that then is kind of shame and embarrassment. And again, I think the truth will make us free from that as well. Like, okay, I was a part of that. Yes, yes, you were. Your ancestors were. Yes, you were. Which could bring you and I to the conversation about critical race theory and how these nice white people don't want their nice white children to look truthfully at at white folks' role in shaping a nation of oppression. Because if we can look truthfully at it, we can work together on making a new way. We can make a new story together if we claim the story. Let me talk a little bit about Ubuntu, though, if you don't mind. Sure. Because there's these world religions with love, neighbor, love, self. But predating that, and I hope this makes everybody laugh, y'all are all from Africa. <laughs> Say it with me. I we am African. We are all from Africa. <laughs> you are all from Africa. <laughs> and what predates any of the world's religions is the, is the origins of humankind yeah. in the cradle of civilization and the Zulu idea, this, this ancient idea. Uh, uh, Ubuntu, Ngabuntu, Ngabantu. I learned that for you, Laura. How to say it, right? I appreciate that. And that's Zulu for a human is human through other humans. When we began to stand up and walk out of the cave and into the light, before we decided in prosperity gospels, before we decided we had to compete with each other, we were a tribe of people needing to live together. Who's going to hunt? Who's going to gather? Who's going to raise the kids? Who's going to raise the wheat? We understood that our destinies were tied together. And this this philosophy survives. It's Mm -hmm. why Mandela was able to work with those crazy Afrikaners, right? To free his people to make a new democracy. It's it's absolutely in the bedrock of my personal theology and the work at Middle Church. I am who I am because you are who you are. My destiny is tied to Edna, my Latinx friend who's married to Heidi. My destiny is tied to Daryl, my queer black man who works in that program, is tied to Joy, to, to Joy, who's Chinese. It's tied to you, Laura. My destiny is tied to humankind. And if we can own that, then the white ladies voting for Trump pretty soon soon have to say, how does that affect the children in Detroit who don't have clean drinking water? 
So can I add to that one other thing that we've been thinking a lot about on this program this year? That's the indigenous Native American spiritual tradition. It's almost as if if out of Africa came the notion that we humans are human through other humans, out of those indigenous traditions comes the idea that we as humans are physically, spiritually and morally connected to other living beings and to place and to this planet. And that this moment is simply the moment where the past and the future connect in us, right? Absolutely, that's right. Imagine if those spiritualities hadn't been scrubbed out of our, our national um, lore, our national culture, philosophy. You know, indigenous children kidnapped from their homes and right. sent to boarding schools to have the Indian, you know, raped, beaten, molested, trained out of them. There's such richness in that, the way, the way our indigenous family think about time, that it is not linear, right? Which gives me hope that today we can fix what happened yesterday and think about it as tomorrow. So for people who only ever see you preaching from the pulpit in your church in all your glory, or, or maybe know you through your virtual work in social media or online, you can stream the services online, I want you to share a little bit of what's in the book that they might not know, that might come as a surprise, namely the part about young Jackie, who wasn't always the shining, effervescent, performative person that you are now, but rather was someone who was super good, but super concerned not to be too widely seen, who who did her best to hide parts of herself. And I think that's an experience a, a lot of us can relate to, a lot of people, especially female people, but not only us. Can you talk about that? I, I can, Laura. I'm, I'm going to make you laugh. I recorded my audiobook, right? And I was reading the book going, what? Why did you feel like you had to be that honest, Miss Thing? What was wrong with you? <laughs> but hearing my words come back. But honestly, I've, I've shared uh, some of these stories with my siblings. I've had a great talk with my dad about, about some of the stories I told. And he, he's proud. People are proud of me for telling the truth. We all, as a community, lose something. Um when people hide, when people aren't able to be everything that they can be. We almost lost you. I, I tell a bad touch story in the book. Uh, someone that I trusted, uh, a, a person in our family. Um, my, my family knows that story now. They didn't know when I was younger until I got brave enough to tell. And the person that touched me and was inappropriate with me, kind of in a one moment event, but that it kept... It stayed alive, Laura, is what I write, yeah. as candidly as I can, stayed alive. And it, it wounded me, Laura, as a pastor and as a counselor, I've talked to women and men who were literally, you know, penetrated by people they love. You know, that's not what happened to me. But what did happen to me was the sense that just being myself could be dangerous. Right. Therefore, I feel like my body almost refused to grow breasts, you know, refused to mature. So it took a long time to get well adjusted around my around my body, around a sex is a beautiful gift from God and not only for marriage and procreation, you know, and that, you know, good girls actually do have orgasms and have a great life. Thank you, God. And and also. That. I could make mistakes and survive. I, I had a broken relationship that made me think 
wow, this, this divorce is so devastating that if I can't put this relationship back together, maybe I don't deserve to be on the planet. So I think also, Laura, about all the kids who get messages from the world. You are ugly. You are stupid. You are queer. You are bad. You are trans. All those young people who get that message from the world of their clergy and their parents and their folks, they are walking around wounded. They are almost dead people walking, Laura, their egos, their, their sorrow, sometimes overwhelming them. And we understand how many young people kill themselves because they miss the mark of perfection. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wanting to say to parents, guys, your job is to love your little ones, to make a safe container for them so they can show you who they are and be that. It is devastating to think of how many young people won't survive because they're the folks in charge of loving them attach too much to their expectations of what they should be. Let's, let's have more freedom and more um, kind of grace to let our young people be who they are. And if by chance a young person is listening to this amazing show, cause Laura's show is amazing, baby, you are awesome. Just exactly as you are. And you might not know it today, but I want to invite you to hang in there. Cause I hung in there. And I'm here and I'm fierce and I'm feeling like there's a fierce you inside to be loved and to love. So I'm sending you fierce love today. All you fierce yous out there. Thank you for that, Jackie. So in this program, we often end by asking our guests to describe a moment in which they felt that change, the kind of macro systemic, personal, fierce change that we're talking about isn't just possible, but is actually happening a moment in which it was palpable or a person that gave them the feeling that it was. I'm imagining you have many of those experiences, um, but would you care to share some or one? Yes, I will. <laughs> I was in Chicago for my dad's 87th birthday. And the book was just coming out and it was dad's 87th birthday and I had a bunch of meetings and done a bunch of stuff to do in the media. So I went to his house to do a, a media event and I said, Daddy, I'm going to run in here, do it, and I'm going to come back out and spend some time with you. When I came out, my dad, my 87-year-old dad, has prepared a table for me, Laura. My favorite fried chicken. Not breasts, thighs, because that's what I like. <laughs> and potato salad and coleslaw and a glass of rosé. And he sits with me and just listens to me and holds that space with me like the same daddy who taught me how to cut hair, who taught me how to change a tire, who taught me how to... Um, make a bee. I had trouble making cursive bees. My dad is my proof text of fierce love. Our relationship is my proof text of transformation and change. We went through the, the, the terrible twos, but I don't remember them. But we went through, definitely went through the traumatic teens. <laughs> we definitely went through the transformative twenties and we went through fierce forties where I pushed and shoved and claimed my adulthood and claimed my voice. And that, that relationship that is now full of love and joy and forgiveness and peace is what we can do, not only in our families, but what we can do in our, at the workplace, what we can do in our schools, what we can do in our neighborhoods, Laura, and what we can do in the public square. We can tell the truth. We can wrestle our way to a new way to be. We can create a new story together. My daddy is my hero 
and shows me that it can happen. Well, you're one of my heroes. And thank you, Jackie, for writing so much of your story down to share with us. We will put information about the book at our website for those who are interested. And you should know, people out there, that Jackie includes nine daily practices for cultivating the sort of fierce love and courage that can change the world. We'll list those practices, too. Have a wonderful holiday season. We will see you on the other side. And Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis, I hope we'll see much more of you next year. Happy New Year to you, Laura. Blessings. You For more information on this week's guest, go to patreon.com forward slash the LF show, where you'll find a suggested reading list and list of additional related episodes to explore from our archives. You can find their information about our weekly premiere on YouTube every Sunday at 11.30 a.m., how to join us in the chat and more. All the details are at patreon.com forward slash the LF show. While we're independent, we do depend on you. So thank you for your support this Giving Tuesday. And if you haven't joined with us yet, you still can become a Patreon partner of this podcast. Your support makes it possible for this show to remain free to millions on public TV, community radio, and online, regardless of the ability to pay. Join our Patreon partners by committing to a monthly contribution or give once at patreon.com forward slash the LF show. In the meantime, thanks for listening. This show is produced by yours truly, Laura Flanders, with Matt Colicello, Sabrina Artel, Jeremiah Cothran, Rory O'Connor, Nat Needham, Charlotte Carpenter, Jeannie Hopper, Ryan Holtz, Lee Friedman, and Jeanette Hernandez. Major funding for this program is provided by the Novo Park, Ellen Poss Family, Hisuku Wilson Foundations, the Schumann Media Center, Rising Fund at Tides, Kim Connor and Nick Groombridge, Jane Fonda, and listeners like you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for contributing. Thanks for your ideas. Stay kind, stay curious. Until the next time, I'm Laura.